This is the Tico Times Dispatch. I'm Alexander Villegas, assistant editor of the Tico Times. Nicaragua's president, Daniel Ortega, the former revolutionary who helped end the violent Somoza dictatorship in Nicaragua, now finds himself on the other side of the coin. On April 18th, Nicaraguans took to the streets to protest government corruption and social security reforms. Peaceful demonstrations escalated into deadly clashes when government forces violently cracked down on protesters. University students and supporters rose up in solidarity throughout the country, barricading streets and towns to resist the government forces. They demanded that Ortega and his vice president, Rosario Murillo, who's also his wife, step down. Ortega's government responded with more force in a disinformation campaign blaming violence on outside agitators, paid protesters, and gangsters. Tim Rogers is Fusion's senior editor for Latin America. He's reported on Nicaragua for 18 years, lived there for nine, and spent a year as a Neiman Fellow at Harvard before joining Fusion in 2014. Tim has covered a lot of protests. But this one looked different to me right from the very beginning. Uh, the way that people came out into the streets immediately, they had lost their fear of the dictatorship almost immediately. They were behaving uh, in a way that I hadn't seen before in the years uh, prior covering different protest marches in, in Nicaragua. So I was in the United States working in Profusion uh, at the time. I've been the Latin America editor of Profusion for the past four years in the States. Um, but I realized that this, this protest is different, and so I wanted to go down there. So I got on a plane, I think on day three, and, and went down to, to cover the protest. And uh, what did you see during your time there? I got there at sort of the end of the first wave of really bad violence. You know, it, it felt like arriving into a broken city already. And the plane touched down, there were barricades already up across Monaco, especially in the areas around the airport. So getting through the city was, you know, like a scene from Escape from New York. You know, there were, there were barricades that we had to drive around, we had to go through side roads, there were fires. Uh, there was looting going on. There were armed gangs already patrolling the streets. Um, so the, the city had sort of collapsed in a, in a very quick time. And it was it was quite shocking to see um, because I had been there a month earlier and there were no signs of any of this. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think has been very interesting for people who haven't really paid attention to uh, what's been going on in Nicaragua. It seems like a very sudden all the things, but uh, I was down there around that same time, and journalists there told me this was a long brewing, a thing that was long coming. Uh, there was lots of pent up anger against the Ortega presidency, uh, with the past elections, with uh, installing his wife as vice president, and that people just finally snapped. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that uh, there were there were two events that were sort of catalysts for this. Uh, one was the, there was a march in the beginning of April in defense of the DMIU's biological reserve. There was a forest fire going on there, and people were really upset with the government's handling of the forest fire. The, the, the government had turned down the, 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 uh, the offer of aid from Costa Rican firefighters, and, and it, there was no sign that the government was doing anything to put this fire under control. There was a lot of suspicion the government was actually behind some of this because they're, they're, they're suspicious that the government's behind a lot of the illegal logging that's going on in that area. So 
A lot of university students, several hundred, went out to the street in early April to march in defense of the courts. The government responded with disproportionate violence. Mama! Mama, perdoname! A week later, 10 days later, students returned to the street to march against a social security reform that Ortega was trying to unilaterally pass. Again, the government responded with disproportionate violence. In an interview with Brett Baer on Fox News, Ortega blamed the violent street clashes on paramilitary organizations he says are controlled by his political rivals. First, it started with some demonstrations at night, but then there were armed attacks on the part of paramilitary groups that started these attacks against organizations of the state, against the police and against families that are loyal Sandinista families, and then they started blocking the entire country. So it was a one-two punch uh, that really upset the country, and when the country saw the level of violence that the government was employing against students and against the elderly who were marching against the, the, the tax reforms, uh, it was it was really it became this catalyst moment where everyone just sort of went out in the streets. You know, there's a lot of living under a dictatorship is a, is a pressure cooker. You know, there people mm-hmm. are under a lot of pressure. There there uh, there's constant sort of latent fear that people live with, and this became a, a moment of primal spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been. Using the word dictatorship, uh, when I was down there, the journalist at La Prensa also used that term a lot. But now the Secretary General of the Organization of American States, Luis Almargo, he's been condemning the murders, condemning a lot of the violence, but he's been criticized a lot for not condemning the government of Daniel Ortega more strongly. And he claims that there's only two dictatorships in Latin America, Cuba and Venezuela. Nosotros tenemos dos dictaduras en este continente, que son Cuba y Venezuela. Eso es claro. Si nosotros entreveramos este, países en los cuales tienen importantes problemas en, la, en su construcción democrática, que tienen... And that Nicaragua is just a flawed democracy, but a democracy nonetheless. Uh, what would you say to that? I'd say it's wrong. I'd say Nicaragua was a democracy when Daniel Ortega was elected president the first time in 2006. Ortega came in, he was elected democratically. He came in to office as a democratically elected president and then went about systematically undermining and dismantling the democratic system that he rode into the presidency, that he rode into power. Um, when he was first, his first reelection in 2011 was a violation of the Constitution. The Constitution said no sitting president can run for re-election. Uh, and he sidestepped that to get himself reelected with the help of Sandinista judges that he had appointed. Um, and so that's when Nicaragua broke with rule of law. That's when Nicaragua broke with the constitutional democracy. Uh, and he's been basically squatting in power ever since. He's, he controls every branch of government. He has basically uh, banned opposition parties from 
from participating in elections. He has banned the opposition, democratically elected opposition members of Congress from participating in the National Assembly. Uh, it's one party rule, and there are no checks and balances. Um, so, yes, that's called a dictatorship. Another thing, uh, aside from the branches of government, uh, Ortega, his family, and friends have also controlled a lot of the media in Nicaragua. And during these protests, too, we saw a lot of targeting of independent uh, journalists and lots of misinformation and what we've seen kind of around the world uh, with fake news. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you saw down there in that regard? Yeah, so, you know, this is, this is also, you know, part of this 10-year plan that Ortega's had where he has used Venezuelan funding to buy up the cable news channels in Nicaragua. So his family now controls basically all of the dial. Uh, there are two independent media outlets that are left, Channel uh, Channel 2 and 10% Noticias. Um, and Ortega controls the rest. He also controls most of the radio. Um, so Ortega has used those networks and those channels to basically inundate people with, with state propaganda for years um, and, to, and to set his narrative. His wife is in charge of that. And his kids, his kids run the, you know, run the different cable channels. So uh, what's different about this, though, is once the protest started, people were able to take back the narrative pretty quickly in the streets with their cell phones. Um, and it was, uh, I wrote an article saying that this was, this became Nicaragua's vaccine to fake news. Nicaraguans were live streaming the rebellion in the streets with their cell phones. Uh, this is something that they couldn't have done 10 years ago. There was very little connectivity in Nicaragua 10 years ago. So only 5% of the population was online back then, and nobody had smartphones. But that's changed dramatically in Nicaragua. Now, a lot of people have smartphones. A lot of people have 3G access. And, you know, 40% of the country is now online. So that has allowed for the people in the streets, in the rebellions, to really show the rest of the country what exactly is happening in the streets, and it has punched a hole in the government's narratives. Now, the government is trying to fight back online by you know, creating all these sock puppet accounts, all these Sandinista trolls uh, to try and go on online, onto Twitter, on the Facebook, to, to try to reclaim that space and push their own government narrative again. There's also indication uh, that just, uh, indication that they've also brought in some Venezuelan sort of fake news experts to, to help them in that task. But so far they have not been effective um, because they're not very good at trolling and they, <laughs> the narrative. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also found yourself at the center of some fake news conspiracies. You were accused of being a CIA agent down there? Yeah, I mean, they, they had accused me of being CIA uh, before. And so this was sort of an old an old chick that they brought back. In like 2009, uh, that's when it really started to censor me and they would tap my phones, they would follow me on the street. That sort of went away after 
for a while, so I assumed investigating discovered I was not the CIA. But it came back again. They started to circulate pictures of me online, uh, saying that I was a CIA agent, need to look out for me. I was sent by the embassy to you know destabilize Nicaragua. Uh, and it felt more ominous this time because they were starting to weaponize the Sandinista youth as a, as a gang. Um, and they were killing people. They had just killed a journalist in the streets. And Bluefields, a couple of days earlier, uh, Ortega had gone on television, basically blaming all the unrest on foreign meddlers. And then the next day they came out with you know, the, this campaign online on Facebook saying, I was the foreign meddler. So now people who were trying to defend the revolution had a picture and a, a first name and a last name of the foreign enemy that was in Nicaragua. So that felt more ominous. That felt like a target on my back. Um, and then I got uh, a phone call from a, a very reliable source the next day saying that, indeed, I was in trouble and I had, I had to leave the country because um, there was other things going on behind the scenes in addition to the Facebook campaign against me. Going back to another point uh, you made about people really like getting together and promoting stuff uh, like kind of in unison. Uh, I was down there, I think it was day five, the day that Ortega rescinded the INST reforms. And uh, there was a protest scheduled for that night, but it turned out into more of a celebration. It felt like a, an election victory or like a soccer match victory. And what was interesting is that there was lots of poor people, but lots of rich people from Nicaragua drove by to show their support for protesters. Uh, and it seemed like the closest thing uh, the country had had to like an electoral victory in years. And it seemed like also now that they weren't satisfied and they weren't going to stop. Yeah, I mean, look, this, this thing has been going on for 70 plus days, right, two and a half months. And during that time, there's been moments of great joy. There's been moments of great sadness. There's been moments of fear. There's been moments of rage. Um, that's all been part of this rebellion. Um, people are determined to get rid of Ortega. And the more people he kills, the more difficult it becomes to imagine this going back to normal afterwards. You know, how do you kill 300 of your fellow countrymen? How do you release a paramilitary force onto the streets of Nicaragua to assassinate Nicaraguans? How do you send sharpshooters, police sharpshooters out there to execute people with headshots and then go back to being a normal president and, and, and pretending that none of that happened? Um, the situation is way beyond anything that, that can be repaired. Ortega, you know, the history books have been written about this guy. There's nothing he can do to change that. And people are saying he's got to leave. He is the main obstacle to peace and democracy in Nicaragua. Uh, Nicaraguans don't want to go down the same path as Venezuela. So they're saying... Ortega's got to go because he can't talk about peace and democracy and rebuilding this country until he's gone. Mm -hmm. You said the history book is already written and you see Ortega eventually losing power. Um, what time frame do you see this happening in? 
I don't know. I mean, that's the million-dollar question. When is this guy going to leave? I, I, when I say the history books are written on Ortega, um, what I mean is that he can't fix this situation. He can't go. He can't go back to being a normal president. He's going to be remembered as a violent tyrant who destroyed his country and, and assassinated people. He's going to go down in history like Samosa. Um, I don't know when he's going to leave. I, I, you know, he doesn't want to leave. I think there's there's pressure on him to leave. I don't know if it's enough pressure. Um, and he has enough sort of resources where he can, you know, remain holed up in his compound for a while while people, uh, you know, while people are killed on the streets in the rest of the country. Um, so he has the resources to, to to play the long game, and that's what he's doing. He's trying to ride this out. He's trying to... Uh, make the rest of the country fearful and exhausted of protest. Um, and he's hoping that things will slowly go back to normal. But he's wrong because he's trying to use violence to make things go back to normal. That doesn't work. Mm-hmm. All right, great. And I guess another thing, uh, we talked about disinformation a bit. Uh, what would you recommend to readers or people who want to stay up to date with what's going on in Nicaragua and get reliable sources of information? I would recommend following Nicaraguan journalists, um, the real ones, the independent ones, not the government hacks. Um, there are some very brave Nicaraguan journalists who are out in the street every day reporting on this story. Um, and they're doing an excellent, excellent job of it. And mostly what I'm trying to do with my Twitter account and my Facebook account at this point is to, you know, translate some of the stuff that they're doing and amplify their voice in English. Um, but, you know, these guys are really brave. They're out there on the front lines every day documenting this, talking to the victims, um, and they're doing a real service to their country and to, to, and to international media. That's it for a first edition of the Tico Times Dispatch. My guest was Tim Rogers, senior editor for Latin America for Fusion. Tim was also a Tico Times reporter and editor of our Nicaragua newspaper, the Nica Times. You can follow him on Twitter at Nica Dispatch. The Tico Times has also partnered with La Prensa, the oldest daily newspaper in Nicaragua, to bring you more coverage from the crisis there. We're translating and republishing select stories in English at the Tico Times. My name is Alexander Villegas, assistant editor of the Tico Times. This podcast was produced by me and edited by Alexander B. Kim. Thanks for listening and check out www.ticotimes.net for more English language news from Costa Rica and Central America.